Welcome everyone to the first Big Green Q&A podcast by GQA themed Raising the Bar. I am Dan Brown, Strategic Relationship Manager for GQA Qualifications and I'll be asking not only the question that I'd like to put to the panel but we also invited questions from the wider industry on the topic of why strong training regimes, accredited training and qualifications help to raise quality of delivery, reduce unsafe misapplication of products and ultimately supports all project stakeholders to build more safely. So a quick introduction to the panel. Neville, would you like to go first? Uh, yeah, I'm Neville Grunvald, uh, Head of Facades for the Weights Group. Martin? Hi Dan, I'm Martin Sadler. I'm an EQA and Technical Officer for GQA Qualifications. Darren? Hi, my name is Darren Burford. I'm the ALUK Training Manager. Graham? Hi, I'm uh, Graham Hackley. I'm uh, a business owner for a company called Century Facades and we execute uh, the taller buildings here in the city and I'm a facade engineer by discipline. Brilliant. Okay, so we'll start with the first question. Um, and first of all, I'd just like to get your thoughts about the quality of product training in the industry today. I have been reading the Construction Product Association's 2015 survey um, sent out to some 28 corporate members and 36 trade association members concerning 70 products and materials. Although it was conducted in 2015, it's still the most recent survey, but I understand there's another one about to be considered. But still, I think there's some quite worrying statistics came out of it. So, Darren, the first question I'll put to you. Okay. <laughs> I'll pick on you first. So, um, the 2015 survey said, of those 28 corporate members and 36 trade association members surveyed, the return data reported that only 31% of product courses have compulsory training before use. Um, how serious should a product manufacturer take their responsibilities on the application of their product in the market by an envelope subcontractor? Uh, yeah, I think... It, they should take it very seriously. Um, coming from a, an aluminium systems uh, background, um, the principles of curtain walling windows and doors are pretty much the same. But each individual system has their intricate details. So for individuals to to know exactly what they're working on, I find it very important that it should be compulsory all training because so many different products within the market have all got their special features. So I think getting getting individuals on those courses, learning about the product, knowing everything that needs to be, uh, you know, looked at with regards to fabrication, installation, a whole, a whole range of things that they need to start looking at to make sure that they are. Yeah, I suppose it's the, every system has the little niche things that differentiates between other systems, I guess. So it's important you kind of get that. Across. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. I'll just, you know, talk about, you know, different uh, talk settings on, on fixings mm. and, you know, weight capacities when they're looking at uh, glazing. And, you know, every every single aluminium system house, or, as I said, although curtain walling is curtain walling, yeah. they have got their intricate little details that they need to be looking at. Yeah. And I think individuals then, if system houses can um, apply compulsory training, I think it just benefits the industry yeah. because, uh, because the individual then knows what they need to be looking at on that particular system. Yeah, Not every system is the same. Not every job is the same. No, it's it's project specific. So knowing exactly what you're doing is 
fundamental. Yeah. I mean, to support what you said, what programs have you put in place to support your partner's training requirements? And I guess what value do they get out of uh, the training that they get? You know, is it just a marketing thing, marketing thing or do you concentrate on the technical performance of the products? Um, so we've worked closely now with GQA for a number of years now to uh, to get our facility fully glass-approved centre for training. So we've developed um, installation, fabrication, product knowledge and software training programmes that are all fully accredited. So across that board, you know, we offer that to our customer base and then the wider vicinity of the construction industry. So, you know, we're not prejudiced against anyone who wants to learn. You know, if you're not a customer of ours, we will gladly take you around our facility and teach you on our products. And following on from that, um, so that's what we've done as a business to try and open our academy to the whole construction industry. And working along with GQA and the Council of Aluminium Building, we've also now introduced a, um, an in, a, a process that you need to go through to become a curtain wall installer. So with um, this, this program that we've developed, it's, you know, it's taken a, a number of years, but we've finally got there. We're, we're hoping that the courses that we provide now gives that individual the knowledge they need, underpinning knowledge they need yep. to go into that industry and make a success of it. And you mentioned accredited training as well. That's certainly some value that... Um... Definitely. I think uh, the times the times have gone where you can just turn up to a training um, uh, programme and just sit there for a free lunch. <laughs> you know, I've been on a couple of courses when, you know, you just go there and at the end of it you get just a certificate to say you've attended. Yeah. Our courses are all assessment based. So we'd expect you, whether it's fabrication, installation, product knowledge, software, you need to take an assessment at the end of the course. So hopefully the skills that you've learned through that day, you know, you'll take that on and then hopefully it benefits you. And I think when you've got courses that are accredited, I think it, it, it gives you a little bit of more kudos mm. than just having just like, Yes, great. I've turned up for the day. I've got my, you know, yeah. and I've just, you know, whether it's been worthwhile or not. I think the way the industry is going now with the safety building app to show, you know, competency within the industry. I think you know we're set up now as a industry, you know, from the system houses point of view, we have got quite a few things in place that can hopefully benefit that uh, that sector. Yeah. I agree. I think the days of hiding at the back, you know, on your mobile phone, I think those have gone really. Which brings me on to uh, Graham. So as a facade subcontractor working on high-rise buildings in particular, and I understand that you've installed in Croydon the tallest modular tower in Europe, so there's quite a lot of disciplines and uh, understanding required for that. Um, how important is it to you that the products that you're selecting for your projects are backed up with strong training programs from the product manufacturer? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good question. And of course, listening in to Darren, uh, I think it's clear how much the world, the world has changed. Um, I think our experiences of building, um, you know, engineering these very tall buildings is, of course, you're only really as strong as the weakest link in, in, in your team. 
I think there was a lot of there was a lot of thinking in times gone by that this might just apply to a fixer, but you know it doesn't. Um, this really applies to your to your project director. It applies to your project manager, uh, pre-contract your designers. It goes all the way through. It goes all the way through to fixers, mate. The reality is, is unless everybody gets it right at a tower team, um, it it kills your facade company. And I guess there's 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 two ways of dealing with that in our industry. Um, and I think on the one hand, um, you embrace it. You embrace the things that Darren's been saying. And you invest a huge quantity of time and energy in cultural and natural change at your company. Or the less morally, well, the more morally sad way of looking at it is uh, the facade company sets up lots of Phoenix companies ready to go in anticipation of the failure of their company. And I guess, sadly, the industry is split into two kinds of facade contracting. And I, I think that's a really sad way of of doing business, but it still exists. And I guess that's one of the things we're here to talk about today, that there's two models, the model of thoroughly embracing change and the model of anticipating failure. Um, so I, I think at Century, we've taken a view that since since it kills companies, um, you know, what we have to look at really is, in the end, you know, better educated people make better decisions. And if everybody in connection with um, a highly engineered building is educated, that's going to be a game changer. And certainly with the way things are now, where we're expecting nine months before we hit site, um, the art of project management has changed a lot from when, you know, from starting when the truck arrives to nine months to plan product-specific training for the product-specific detailing. And of course, it really connects to a lot of what Darren says, um, that there's an opportunity in that nine months uh, to present uh, your product-specific uh, detailing in the context of project-specific detailing, marry the two together, and tailor your training to fit the project you're about to execute. And rather than us just thinking about sending our fixes there, let's let's send there everybody from project director below. Let's send the people who are going to assess the QA on exactly the same course. The, the reality is, is we're really only as strong as our weakest link. And I know that when, whenever we fail to take a view in this holistic sense, we end up with project-specific failures. And yeah. I think that's what we've learned. Yeah. Neville, um, what's your thoughts on that? I think Graham makes some very good points. Um, I would go probably a little further. Um, if you think about the, the opportunity for failure or success, and in the past it's been, oh, so we failed, we've got a phoenix and we're going to set up again tomorrow. The Safety Act's going to change that, right? We're going to end up with people getting fined and potentially imprisoned for up to two years, okay? So the, 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 the risk has become that much greater for everybody involved, not just for directors, but everybody involved. The one thing that I think we need to hammer home is this accredited training is going to be required for your estimators, your pre-con, as Graham says, through your procurement, your schedulers that are scheduling for procurement, right through your factories and onto site. Now, when I'm talking about you know this particular training subject, I often get, oh, we've got a training course for people on site. Right, oh, it's great. And everybody else has done what? CPDs. Mm. You know, these the attendance certificates, bloody useless. That 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 my comeback every time I get a CPD, and some of you have heard this before, I'm sure. Oh, fantastic. Well, I did a CPD. I sat through one on brain surgery. I got a certificate of attendance. Can I open your head up? And everybody sort of laughs and goes, don't be stupid. 
But that's the same thing. We're talking about letting people loose with products 20 and 30 stories up. And even something like a pressure plate or a cap coming down at that distance, you know, a six-meter long cap, it's got no weight. It's got no air resistance. By the time it hits the ground, it's hitting at such a pace, it can pace somebody. So we need to know that the people that have designed, procured and manufactured that and the people that are installing it all understand what they're doing and they've actually got more than just I attended certificates. Yeah, I think you're right. And we've seen instances where windows have fallen out here in London and unfortunately with tragic circumstances. So yeah, I I totally agree. I think it's really important for product delivery um, training. It's important, I think, accreditation. It proves the learning, I guess, doesn't it? Just another thought really on products as well. Obviously, on a lot of the projects that um, you put together, for example, high rise, you're talking a number of products as well, such as you may have a facade, you may have fire stopping, you may have cladding. Um, Graham, as, as a facade subcontractor, how easy is it to find evidence of all those products coming together? Can you find any any assessment or um, is, is, is there any trouble in that? Do you think that product manufacturers should work together more, collaborate more to get um, interface details tested? I think I think the biggest game changer has been uh, an, a cultural acceptance that um, an envelope contract isn't going to start on site eight to twelve weeks after order placement. It's going to start on site nine to twelve months later. And I think that the game changer here is it provides everybody an opportunity to become experts in their own project. Now you still have to take up that opportunity. But I think in the past, such was the pressure to get to site that it it corrupted the ability of good decision making um, to, to take this time. And of course, the latest culture in our industry is test, test and test. Probably go a little bit further um, and say working benchmark visual performance mock-ups as well, which is another way. Uh, you know, if we're going to execute uh, an inspection and test plan, the best in- inspection and test plans are executed off the back of project-specific training and visual performance benchmarks for that project. Let's bring the QA management team, let's bring the fixes down, and let's and let's workshop that. And I think the opportunity that that nine months has provided us is where project management in our industry has fundamentally shifted, and I think that's a great thing. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so another part of the same survey, um, again, Neville, this is aimed at you. Um, so the same survey that we're talking about, the 2015 survey, it said that the supply chain only provides on-site support or user tuition for 16 out of the 39 products surveyed, and only six out of those 39 courses were actually third-party accredited. Um, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. Um, how important do you think it is when awarding packages that the subcontract subcontractor can demonstrate competency on the products they propose? And, how much of an impact do you think that has in the contracts being awarded? Okay, so um, just going back to the figures, mm. I'm surprised they're that high. <laughs> um, in in our experience, the number of um, product manufacturers that actually come to site and do training is quite minimal. Right. Uh, we'll often get a toolbox talk from a system house like Al UK. They'll yep. turn up and they'll say, okay, and this is what we're going to do, guys, and they'll have an hour or two with the, the site installation team and then that's it, we're, we're done. Um, same with passive fire protection. 
Uh, we do get visits from pacifier protection suppliers, but less so. Beyond that, it's pretty sparse. Mm. Now, to, to, to answer the second part of your question about um, accreditation and actually having competent subcontractors, right now, I think the, the world's been driven pretty much from a commercial uh, standpoint. So, okay, we've got three subcontractors in the room. Uh, we've got two at two million each, and we've got one at one million. Oh, we're talking to the one at one million. And this is main contractors, right? This is just the way they think. Uh, and, and unfortunately, that includes the, 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 the company I work for, WITS. Right? We, we, we've had that in the past, particularly on smaller projects that have been less less driven by quality, more driven by cost. So, And we're, we're working hard to avoid that. But going forward, the big thing really is, with the Building Safety Act coming in, we're going to have to be able to prove our competence to our clients, right? So the client is actually going to have to check us out. And it won't matter what size job we're talking about because we've got to build to building regs. Yep. The Building Safety Act says build it to building regulations. Well, that's dead simple, isn't it? Apart from the fact, if you think about facades, it's really easy to hit part L for thermal mm. and then miss part O for overheating. So we end up building multi-story residential blocks where certain apartments are becoming like you know pressure cookers. Yep. And it's really easy to get that balance wrong. And I'm not just talking about um, the, the, the people in this room. I'm talking about the, the wider, the wider uh, market. So... That's on all projects, but on higher risk, high-rise buildings, those over 18 metres, more than seven floors, those particular projects, from October this year, we're going to have to prove not only that we know what we're doing, but our subcontract supply chain is as well. And it's going to be a game-changer. Those, as, as Graham says, that embrace change and go, right, okay, we've got to get on board with this. I think the early adopters will actually find it's quite useful for them commercially mm -hmm. because they'll be at the front of the queue. Yep. They'll get a good reputation. But those that don't get on board will find that they're closed off to the larger projects with the larger contractors, and they're having to paddle around in a smaller pond yeah. with lower-tier contractors that aren't embracing the Building Safety Act and leaving themselves at risk. So short-term, right now, probably the status quo is who's the cheapest in the market. Mm. Tomorrow, new dawn. I think we're going to have to have competence or you won't be able to get onto projects over 18 metres. Darren? Yeah. Could I just interject there? When you say, like, obviously, we know, like, price is a big factor. Do you think that that will come straight away where they're looking at our subcontractors and ourselves as businesses that you take that, you know, ethos of saying, right, we prefer to use you. You might not be the cheapest, but you've got everything in place competency-wise. Oh, Absolutely. There's, there's no question about it, Darren. There's no question whatsoever. We're going to be in a position where if if we appoint somebody that isn't credible, that isn't competent, that hasn't got the right certification, that hasn't worked on this kind of building project, this size, typology, complexity, with these specific products, if we appoint somebody, we are personally at risk for unlimited fines. Each The QS, me as head of facades for weights, we're at risk for unlimited fines and are up to two years in prison, right? So that's that's going to be a situation where we're going to be looking at the supply chain and going, okay, who are we safest with? We're already changing our internal governance around appointment of subcontractors, and not just facades, all subcontractors, um, particularly those with structural or fire safety 
issues and people go oh curtain warning's not structural well hang on a minute it's going to withstand a wind load it's going to withstand a barrier load you know, there are loads we're going to be talking about fire stops at, at floor levels we're going to be talking about cavity barriers around windows most window and, and curtain wall manufacturers and subcontractors are going to be wheeled into this quite closely so we've got to look and make sure that we've got the right people so i think we'll still be we'll, we'll still be seeing the cheap prices come in but we're going are they competent no right bin them right who's the next who are the competitive ones that are not going to lead us into a position where let me get let, let me give you an example so i was lucky enough the other week to talk to dame judith hackett right and we were over at one of our projects at Canada Water, right? And we're looking at the, the model of a 38-storey tower. And she looked at me and she goes, you realise that at some point, one of the main contractors is going to get to the top of one of those buildings and the building safety regulator is going to refuse to sign it off because you can't prove that you built it with competent people doing the right things. Can you imagine the level of storm that's going to unleash if we've got to the top of that building and we can't hand it over for occupation? It would be a horror show. So that is a stark warning to the entire industry. Get it right, or the consequences are going to be dire. And even at the size that weights are, you know, we're rocking on towards two billion turnover. That would still that be that be a real gut blow for us. And if you think you're a subcontractor involved with it or supply chain, if you've instructed a subcontractor incorrectly on how to install your gear. And then that's been the cost of rejection. All that is going to come barreling down the pipe at you. So we, we've all got to be, and we were talking about this before the, the, the podcast, I think partnering with your subcontractors and your supply chain, your manufacturers, is going to be absolutely key. And that's why we were quite keen to, to, to engage with GQA for this, because we're, we are engaging with the GQA because we want to know what's coming down the pipe in terms of qualifications and training, it's going to make a massive difference to industry, just full stop. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, Graham. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I was just going to uh, chip into this conversation because certainly as a specialist contractor, um, you know, how it sometimes feels, and sadly it can still sometimes feel this way in reference to these questions, is is the reality is doing it right costs more than doing it wrong. And very sadly, to correctly resource a specialist contractor company, might cost you two to five percent more than incorrectly resourcing it. Pricing your offer correctly might cost two to five percent more than pricing it incorrectly. Your understanding of how to execute it for someone on the construction site might be worth two to five percent more. And it's you know how this often will end up is you can be five to fifteen percent more. And I have been to many post bid meetings where. Two hours later, the order placer's sat opposite us and he's saying, I accept everything you've said, but I can afford a lot of trouble for half a million quid. And these You can't. Are, you uh, can't. That's, <laughs> that's terrible, isn't it? And two that, to five percent is two to five percent is just it's it's a grain of sand compared to the size of the error you could end up with. Because if if we drive you down to the point where you're incompetent because you're having to get incompetent installers, incompetent estimators, incompetent designers, and I'm not talking about people that don't know what they're doing, they just can't prove their competence. If we're not helping you, if we're not paying that money to make sure you get it right for us, 2 to 5%, we'll look in the rearview mirror and go, what were we thinking? We could be throwing away tens of millions, not half a million. 
and I had a meeting not so long ago with several of my peers, heads of facades, and we were kicking it about, what do you spend in terms of, of, of legacy on your facades? 10% was often bandied about. So if we've got a £10 million package, we're already thinking, we're going to get a kick in for a million pounds. Get it right first time for a couple of percent. That 10 million drops away. You knew what your cost in was going to be and it's going to be the cost out. Don't go in cheap and come out expensive. That's insane. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, and of course, if there's a product failure on one of the sites, you'll be quickly asking the subcontractors, you know, who has had what training and is there evidence of the learning and were they competent to make the decisions that led to the failure? So it's, um, it's all encompassing. Uh, Martin, so we've spoken about accredited training. Um, what is accredited training? People hear it, but I don't think they're really sure what it means and what the process is. And how can it support um, Graham, Graham and uh, Neville need to demonstrate competency? How does it benefit the key decision makers? Yeah, thanks, Dan. I think we've probably all been on training, haven't we? That's been fantastic, has been you know, okay, and been, you know, could be better because there's been no benchmark out there. It's not been looked at, it's not been. Um, uh, reviewed and also I know I've delivered training courses I've been observed training courses where you've got people sitting in the back row who are just there for the day as the Darren said they're mm. there for a, a free lunch or a free ride and they leave the training have they learned anything have they taken anything on board what have they got from that session because there's no way of testing that they turn up they sit at the back they don't take part and they leave <clears throat> so with accredited training what happens is is that we set a benchmark so how training should be delivered and at GQA, what we would do, we would come out and look at the company. We look at the training. We look at the uh, what the objectives are of the training, the content. Is it a pure training course as opposed to is it a marketing product, uh, which uh, some seems to be. And at the end of it, we'll make sure that there is an end, end test in place. And what the end test does, it makes sure that anybody who's attended that course has got to take part, got to listen and pass that end test. And that way, if they pass the end test, they get a certificate of sort of competence in that area. If they don't pass the end test, they go away with nothing. They don't get a certificate of attendance because it doesn't because it haven't been there. So what accredited training accredited training accredited training does, it makes sure that training is fit for purpose. It does what it says it's going to do. It has clear goals and clear outcomes with that, and there's an end test as well, and it's delivered against a sort of a benchmark that we put in place. So I think accredited training is really good to set a standard to be used across all of industry, where if it meets this criteria, it meets the criteria of the industry, and there's an end test at the end of it. And I think that's a good way for testing competency of the people who attended the course. Also a good thing is uh, we can credit any type of training. So if it's classroom training, online training, um, product training, or any other type of training, we can um, look at all those areas. I think it's got a lot of legs in the industry to prove competency and to prove people have taken on board that, that knowledge and that skill they in that training course. Yeah, and I suppose a creative training, the benefit of that is if there's no existing qualification, you can create a training course and get it accredited. It's, a sta it's the same stamp of approval, I guess. And I suppose more broadly, how far does accredited training and qualifications benefit each project stakeholder or duty holder on a project? I think it can improve the competency of the people on that project. Um, I think Greg mentioned earlier on about it's not important, not just the installers, but every person in that chain yeah. needs to be competent, needs to be trained. 
So we can have qualifications that reflect each of those different roles in yep. industry or training that covers all those different roles in industry as well, whether it's going to be on a specific product or a specific action. Mm. So I think having training that's fit for purpose and designed to fit a specific role or a specific product is what's really required because that mm. way we can prove competency not just in the role but in what they're installing as well or what they're designing or specifying, which is also important. Yeah, because the creative training benefits everybody all the way up the the supply chain really and everybody that's been involved not just installers not just fabricators not just designers but you're talking facade consultants talking architects these people need to be able to understand and demonstrate that i suppose they understand the product that's been put on a building i guess so it's, it's it benefits everybody really yeah i think one good thing as well is that they can be modularized so if you've got a credit training you can just do it across different skill sets as well so whatever your role is you can just pick a mix of courses you need it's going to be product specific or, or role specific. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there for part one of Raising the Bar from the Big Green Q&A podcast. I'd love for you all to join us again for part two, which will be released shortly. We will be discussing the challenges laid out by Dame Judith Hackett on all of us to create the culture change required to build safely and how product manufacturers Envelope subcontractors, principal designers and principal contractors will all have to challenge themselves and grasp the nettle to deliver this change themselves. So from myself, Dan Brown, Strategic Relationship Manager at GQA Qualifications and my panel of guests today, thank you and we'll talk to you soon.